That was a very intense introduction. I don't know if I can live up to it. We'll try. Um, I'm super excited to be here tonight, so thank you guys for having me. I'm normally on the other side of the building with the crazy middle schoolers, and I won't lie to you, I kind of miss them, but it's okay. Um, to most of the under 18 population here at Timberline, they just call me Hill or TSM Mom. Um, and so I thought I would give you guys a better picture of kind of who I am. So like Brent said, I get to work with our TSM leaders and kind of help them teach them how to lead. And then I get to disciple our middle school and high school girls. Um, and I also get to walk through crisis with students and their families. And it's kind of a weighty thing, but it's a really cool thing to get to be a part of. And we had our high school fall retreat this last weekend. And on the last night, we always do kind of a party so that it's like, yes, this was fun. We had a great time. And this year's theme was thrift store prom. And as we were in the party barn at Camp Timberline up in Estes, we were hanging up uh, streamers and balloons. And Pastor Tim was, I was like up on this ladder and he just goes, this is our job. And we were all like, huh, that's neat. You know, like, all right, that's pretty cool. And what a joy it is that this gets to be what I do vocationally. Um, but how I got here is kind of a little bit of a crazy story. So I grew up here in Loveland. Um, loved it. This is my family. See if we can, yeah, there they are. Um, so it's my mom, my dad, and my brother, and they are wonderful people. Um, my brother, I call him my little brother, but he gets mad because he's like six four ish. He's not little. Um, and my parents. There's another picture of me and my dad. Yes, this is us going to see Hamilton because we're super trendy and cool. Um, and they have been such a good support to me and have encouraged me in my faith. And it's one of the reasons that I love to do what I do. After that, so got my family, and I have my TSM family. Let's see. Maybe. There they are. Um, so we've got a couple pictures of them. This is the staff that works with your students. We clean up pretty nice. We don't usually look that great. Um, but I think there's another one. This is us in a field playing baseball with apples and pieces of wood we found, um, which is very student ministries. These are the people that I cry with. These are the people that I do life with. And it's such a joy to get to do ministry with the people who you consider your family. Along those lines, I don't have any actual children, but I also have like 50 12 to 18 year olds. And I get the pleasure, like Brent was saying, to lead our sixth grade girls. So here's them. This is us at Stay Treat. There's a lot of them. They are full of energy and they are very fun. They, I ran through there real quick and they were all just like, we love you. And I was like, thank you, I needed that. Okay, I'm out. Um, and it's so cool to get to hear them learn more about Jesus um, as we go through our TSM. And then we've got some high school kids. There they are. Um, I just graduated a group of girls who I've been working with for about three and a half years. And we talked about boys, about SAT prep, about different boys, about what the dance that was coming up. And then we talked about the same boys again. And it was a whole thing for like three and a half years. And three of them actually asked me to baptize them this last summer. And every single time one of them asked, I just wept. We're like in Cafe Mexicali. And I'm like, I'd love to. Thank you so much. And they're like, please be cool. Like, stop. I'm like, I can't. I can't. <sighs> um, so at the baptism, one of their moms came over. And she's like, hey, thank you so much for being a part of her life. Our girl's going to college. And then we both like held each other and wept and are just like, oh, our kids are growing up. Like, thank you for allowing me to be part of that. Um, 
much to their chagrin now, their daughters still text me and don't talk to the parents anymore. So I'd like give them a little heads up. I'm like, she's doing great. She's passing bio. We're really excited. Um, and to get to be a part of the families of our students is such a blessing. And it makes me think of the stuff that I've been through with my family um, and getting to be a high school English teacher prior to here. So teaching high school English, had the opportunity to talk with a lot of kids. And one of my favorite things to teach um, is called inquiry-based learning. So a super summarized view of inquiry-based learning is when you put a lot of the responsibility on students. So if I was going to talk about Shakespeare, I'd tell them, hey, we're going to talk about Shakespeare, we're going to talk about Hamlet, I want to know what you already know. So kids would come up, they'd write notes about things they already know, and then on the other side of the board, we'd start with questions. And there's always one kid who's like, who is Shakespeare? And you're like, great question, perfect, put it on the board. And so they generate their own questions, and as they go through, you then assign them a question. So you're like, okay, you wanted to learn this, now go learn it and teach your peers. And statistically, it's way easier to learn things taught by your peers and that you are teaching. So inquiry-based learning is this idea that we learn better when we're asking questions. We learn better when questions are involved. And I love that God works the same way. Instead of just giving us a lot of answers, there's a lot of questions throughout the Bible. And it's a little bit on us to seek out those answers, to find out what he has to say and what it means. My dad, when I was a kid, would frustrate me because he would never give me a direct answer. He's an engineer, so he'd bring home like these circuit board things and let my brother and I play with them. And I'd like sit there frustrated and be like, it doesn't work. And he'd be like, well, why? And I'm like, you're the engineer. Like, I don't, I'm eight. I don't know. But he would make me sit with it and work with it until I got it. And those are things that I still remember because I had to work through what the answer was. So as we continue this series on questions, we're going to be looking at a passage in Mark. And there's two main questions here, and we're looking at the Christian Standard Bible. I really like this version because it's translated from Hebrew and Greek, but their focus is readability. So they want people to be able to read it like they read books. So it's not in the columns like most Bibles are. It's like one full page, which I really like. Um, but their focus is readability. So if you have a Bible or want to turn on an app, it's Mark 8, 27 through 30. And it says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea of Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about them. Some of my best conversations happen on the way somewhere. I love to pick people up from the airport. It's weird. I really enjoy it. My brother's a musician, and he is on tour four to six months a year. And because my parents don't want to, I get the like, hey, my flight's coming in at 2.30 a.m. Can you come get me? I'm like, sure. I haven't seen you in three months. Why not? And it's this time where we get to be in the car together, and you don't have, like, sometimes, like, face-to-face -face eye contact can be really intense, and you don't want to have this conversation. But as we sit and we drive, I get to hear about sold-out shows. I get to hear about the crazy fans who brought him artwork that they made. I get to hear about the newest, like, roadside snacks. I don't know. Um, 
And it's this really cool time where we're on the road together. And in this passage, it's one of the only times that Jesus and his disciples have a conversation on their way to a destination. So instead of when they arrive, they're having this conversation on the road. The best conversations I have with students after camp is on the bus ride home, because they can't escape me. They sit there, and I'm like, all right, we're tired. What was your favorite part about camp? And it's usually like pizza or something. You're like, okay, well, what's your favorite Jesus part about camp? And on the, on the way home, on the way, we get to go into what did they learn, what was something that really stuck with them, and how can they kind of start to go through that. So Jesus is having this conversation on the way. And his first question is, who do people say that I am? It's an easy question for the disciples. He poses it to all of them, and he says, okay, who are people saying that I am? It's not an opinion question. It's a, what have you heard? What do the people say? And they answer. They're like, okay, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist, who was recently beheaded, so that's interesting. Um, some say that you're Elijah, who never died. He was taken up to heaven. It's a crazy story in 2 Kings. And some say you're one of the prophets, and it's not like a run-of-the-mill prophet, if there is a run-of-the-mill prophet, I don't know. But it's a covenant prophet, so a big deal prophet. So you've got these three things that people are saying, and they're all kind of based in the supernatural. So these people who have come out to see Jesus, they've heard about the healings, they've come to see what he's doing, and they know there's something different about this guy. They know that he's not quite just a man. There's something supernatural going on here that they can't explain, but they're not spending day-to-day with Jesus. They don't know. And these are the things that they're bringing up. So Jesus takes, takes this. They're on the road. And instead of leaving it there, he makes it personal. He says, okay, who do you say that I am? Who do you, the people who spend the most time with me, say that I am? This is a question for a brave person. This is putting out there who you think Jesus is. I oftentimes assume nobody is talking about me because I do. I don't know. It's not self-deprecating. I just don't think anyone is talking about me anywhere. And I get very weirded out when someone, like, brings up something they know about me. I'm like, how did you know that? Like, they're like, you said it yesterday. We were in the same. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't see that coming. And I get to be in a book club with, so Brent said I like to read, love it, in a book club with some very good friends of mine, and we read books together, we eat together, and we pray for each other. So we were doing prayer requests, and they know me pretty well, so like, hey, Hill, it's retreat season, like, how can we be praying for your work? And my roommate, who is in the group, immediately answers, and she goes, oh, she needs clarity on her role and to have better boundaries. And I was like... First of all, nobody asked you. Um, But was this, like, she answered so fast, and I, like, literally sat there and was like, I I mean, that's accurate, but Hill was the first way that question was stated, so me. Um, And I should have known, like, I should understand why she knows, because we live together. She sees me on my great days. She sees me when I come home from camp and just lay in our doorway, and I'm like, I have nothing left. I have nothing left to give. But I was still shocked that she knew. And these are the people 
that Jesus is asking. He's asking the people who have walked with him from city to city. These are the people who have been with him through the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 and blind men being healed, and they've seen a ton of stuff. And he says, okay, who do you say that I am? At this point in our story, the disciples don't know that they're on the way to the cross. At this point in the story, Jesus hasn't said anything about what it's going to look like in the end. At this point in the story, the only beings that have acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah have been God when he's baptized and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and the demons have called him the Messiah. But no human has yet put words to, this is the Messiah. So you've got Peter, and he's the first human who says, you are the Messiah. Brave Peter takes a chance, and he looks at what he's seen, and he says, you are the Messiah. And this is where the Gospel of Mark shifts. This is when Jesus starts to say what's coming. This is when he tells his disciples, I'm going to suffer. This is where we're heading. And the narrative continues to go, and it gets more intense, and we start to see this walk toward the cross but they don't know that yet. Brent said, I'm a reader in college. I read this here book. I brought it to pr prove how big it is and how big of a deal it was that I carried it around when I didn't need to. Um, I was very excited to read it, and so I had it in my backpack. It's pretty hefty, um, but was like sitting in the back of class, like reading it. And it's called The Circle Series by Ted Decker, and it's a novelization of Genesis to Revelation. So it's this story and you kind of follow this character, Thomas Hunter, as he goes through creation to revelation. And it's really great, and I was so excited about it. And I'm reading it, I'm reading it, and this character shows up, and I don't know how I feel about him. I'm like, he's kind of weird, like he's messing things up. I don't know, he's, I don't understand his purpose in the story. And I continue reading, I continue reading. And then this is the character who's based on Jesus. Whoops. Uh, and he like goes and like sacrifices himself for the people. And I read in public and I shouldn't because I cry very easily. So I'm in Starbucks like straight weeping, just like he's dying for everybody. Like, and I didn't see it coming. And baristas are like giving me free cookies. They're like, please leave. <laughs> um, and I'm so overwhelmed that I missed it. Like I am a church rat. I grew up in church. I ran around the halls of my church growing up because I owned that place. I knew which stained glass window you could pop out and get onto the roof. I knew where all of the extra snacks from children's church were stored. Like, I lived there. I grew up in the church. And this character who's supposed to be Jesus, I missed. And that was huge for me. Where I'm like, oh, sometimes I give people in the Bible a hard time for not putting the pieces together. And we've got Peter and he says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't say, a boy, gold star for you, like crowns in heaven, well done, Peter. The rest of you could learn. He says, don't tell anybody. And that's confusing. Because you'd think he'd be like, yes, that's the right answer. Let's go tell everybody. But instead, he says, don't tell anybody. 
In fact, it says he strictly warned them, tell nobody. And the reason is, Peter doesn't understand what he said. So he's said, you are the Messiah, but he doesn't totally understand what that means. And I see that a lot with our TSM kids. So we're at fall retreat this weekend, and we're, we're talking, and I've got my cabin um, with my girls, and I ask them, okay, here's what Pastor Justin just talked about. We're going to kind of go deeper. How do you guys feel to know that even when you feel alone, God is with you? And one of the girls immediately starts talking, which usually means she doesn't know where she's going yet, but we're going to get somewhere. So we're all just like kind of along for the ride. So she starts talking, and I'm like, okay, this hopefully will be good, or we'll have to rein it back in either way. And she starts talking, and she's like, well, I think, and I wrote it down because I was so, like, shocked by what she said. Um, And she said, it's like I'm my most hidden self and most isolated, but when I think about Jesus being there, it's also the most seen and known I've ever been. And I'm just like, oh, like, that was amazing. Tell me more about that. And she goes, I don't know. It's like, okay, well, like, that was almost awesome. You know, like, we were so close. Um, and, like, all the other girls are like, yeah, we, I don't, but that was, that was good. What you said was good. We don't know why, though, but it felt good. Or you've got your middle school students where I'm like, okay, guys, what is your favorite color? And they're like, Jesus. And you're like, that's not a color, but, like, okay. And they don't totally understand So they're in it, they're learning, but they don't totally know what it means yet. They're still discovering, and that's where Peter is. He gives the right answer, but he doesn't understand it. He gives this really good answer, and three verses later, as Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going to suffer, it's going to be tough, he says, no, Jesus, you don't need to suffer. Three verses after he gets it right, calling him the Messiah, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, like... Real up and down for Peter here. Because he doesn't understand. He doesn't yet understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And on our walk with Jesus, we're always on the way. Peter literally walked with Jesus, and he didn't always get it. Because we are constantly on the way with our relationship. It's not about giving the right answer every time or even having an answer. It's about wanting to know more about who Jesus is. The question he asked wasn't necessarily because he wanted an answer. He's God. He knows. He wanted to invite the disciples in to knowing him. He wants to invite us in to knowing who he is. And I think back to my dad, And when he would ask us these questions that I know he knows the answer to. But he wouldn't tell us. And it would be really frustrating. And sometimes our on the way with Jesus is frustrating. Over the summer, um, we got to take a group of high school kids to the Dominican Republic. And to say that we had travel issues would be the biggest understatement of 2018. Um, Traveling with 23 high school kids is a treat, let me tell you. Um... So we've spent a week in the Dominican, we've been doing work, kids are tired, we're traveling home, and we've like had to go through all of these things already. We land in the Miami airport, and as soon as we touch the ground, my phone starts ringing, and it's Pastor Tim, 
And he says, don't make a face. And I'm like, okay, like, where are you? Like, you're on the plane. We're all here. I don't know. And he's like, our next flight is canceled. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. Do you have a plan? Like, I don't, okay, we're on the way somewhere. So he gets off the plane, immediately goes and tries to start getting things figured out for our group of 23 high schoolers and five adults. And I stand with our 23 high school kids, and I'm like, it's fine. We're great. Don't check your phones for updates on our next flight. Please don't text your parents. <laughs> okay, they're going to tell you that we're not making it home tonight, but we'll figure that out. So Tim and I spend several hours at this desk talking with the airlines, and they're like, we can get you all on like 23 different flights. And we're like, that's not going to work. <laughs> These are minors. They have to be with us. Continue to have problem after problem, finally figure out, okay, we've got a plan. Here we go. I take a couple of girls, and we go to the hotel where they're putting us up, and I'm like, okay, we can fix this. We can have a good like final travel push. I'll get there early. I'll talk to the guy at the front desk. I'll get all the tickets, and then they can go to their rooms, sleep for five hours, and be ready to go back to the airport. Go to the front desk, hello, I'm with the group of 28 that the airport just called you about. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And I wanted to just lay on the floor in the lobby and just weep. But I'm the adult, so can't do that yet. So I'm like, okay, great. Well, there's like 23 other kids who are going to show up, and they're super crabby and grumpy. So what can you do? Because we're here, and here are my vouchers. I don't know. So very kind man, helps us, gets us rooms. We finally get all these kids off into their rooms. And the people that I'm on the way with, the adults that are leading this trip, we all sat in one room and laughed. So we're like, nothing else could go wrong, right? Like, there can't be more. Like, wow. But had I been doing it by myself, I would have been a total puddle of a human. But the people I was on the way with were in it with me. And we could kind of commiserate together. We could go, okay, somehow we're going to get home. We're renting vans. We're renting vans. I don't know, but we're going to get home. And there was something very comforting about being on the way with somebody. And we look at our disciples and we look at how they are on the road, but they're not on the road alone. At no point in this does Jesus say, hey, Peter, you didn't get the right answer. Yeah, you're, we're going to leave you here. That's it for us. He doesn't abandon them on the way. When they don't understand, when they don't totally get it, he doesn't leave them. He continues to walk with them. We see Peter do it pretty repeatedly where he messes up, he doesn't get it quite right. And at no point does Jesus turn his back on him. And it's the same way with us. When we're wrestling with this question of who do I say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to me? He's with us. And he lets us wrestle because the more we figure out who he is on our own, the more we understand who he is. Peter was able to walk with people. He was able to walk with Jesus, and he was able to continue his relationship with him. He was able to figure it out. 
and it's stressful, and we hate not having answers. I hate not having answers more than most people. Ask anyone who has ever spent time with me. I want to know where we're going. Our flights to the Dominican were so frustrating because I didn't have any answers. All I had were questions and had to hope and trust. And that's what Jesus asks of us. He doesn't ask us to get the right answer. He doesn't ask us to understand the right answer. He just asks us to be on the way with him. He gives Peter chances. And no matter where you're at on the road, for you it might be, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. I'm not even on the road. I'm just kind of here. I have questions. We'll see. For you it might be, I've been walking on this road and I feel like it's getting really tough. Things are difficult. It doesn't feel easy. It feels hard. I don't know where Jesus is. For you, it could be, it feels good. This is easy right now. Wherever you're at on the road, I want you to think about being on the way with Jesus. We're going to get ready to do communion here in a second. And we've got different sections all over the room. And remember, they didn't know that Jesus was on the way to the cross. They didn't understand Jesus' end game, that his end game was to save the entire world. All they knew was what was right in front of them. Peter gave the right answer without understanding, and Jesus walked with him through understanding who he was. I'm going to say a quick prayer for us, and then you're free to go take communion as you will. Jesus, we're grateful that you invite us to be on the way. Jesus, we're glad that you don't require an answer. That you ask us questions and that you want us to be on the way with you. That you see us where we are on the road and you're with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.